0: God cares about our continued growth and becoming. We are clay in the potter's hands. Several years ago, I visited a Benedictine monastery for the first time. It was St. Anselm's Benedictine monastery just outside of Washington, D.C. And while I was there, I picked up a card in the gift shop and I framed it and I brought it with me. You're not going to be able to see it too well but I've had this in my office for the last 18 years. And this card was made by one of the monks who lives at St. Anselm's. And it caught my, it captured my imagination really. It has a Benedictine cross on this side. This is the outside of the card and this is the inside. And it has a Benedictine cross and overlaid on the cross are two strands of wheat in the shape of a cross as well. And inside is a, a sketch or a drawing of uh, a clump of wheat with one of the stalks fallen to the ground. And it has that text that I just read. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I brought it home and I framed it because it said something to me about what was important to those monks. And I didn't know at that time that I would become a sort of monk myself and move into a place like Richmond Hill. But it speaks to life here in our community as well. In our rule of life, which is based on the rule of Benedict, we also have a commitment to conversion of life which we define as having a conversation, living our life as a conversation with God and a commitment to spiritual disciplines. And it's through those things that our life is changed and that we are able to honor and open ourselves to that commitment that God has to us, which is that we will continue to grow and become the people God created us to be. Like Richmond Hill, St. Anselm's praise the hours. They pray five times a day. And they also welcome guests for long stay, for long stays. And they understand that this text, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. They understand that this text is more than simply a statement that Jesus made about his own death. That he was saying something important to all of us about our own lives, that our lives require a certain amount of sacrifice and a giving over of our small selves so that we might live a larger life together. Jesus spoke of the same later in John's Gospel when he said that I'm the vine and you're the branches of that vine. You're going to bear fruit, Jesus said, if you remain grafted into me. That somehow our lives are meant to be lived together. And so that means that we have to give up our individual ambitions when they don't align with what God wants for us. And we have to trust, as Jesus taught us, that what God wants for us is what is best for us. And it aligns with why we're here and the gifts that each of us have to bring into the world. We must live our lives in God's love, literally in love, a God who we know as love. But that requires a letting go and a falling down from time to time, a dying to our small selves so that we can live in our larger self. Like the stalk of weed I just showed you in this picture, falling to the earth, what happens when we die in that way is that we, we grow up. We have to fall down in order to grow up is really the message that Jesus is imparting to us. We have to lose our life in order to find it. It sounds contradictory, but for any of us who have lived the life of faith for even a moment, we know that there's truth in it. That we have to let go again and again and again and trust that God will catch us and that God will lift us up and that God will invite us into a larger life together. I've been leading men's rites of passage work for over a decade. It's powerful and transformational work And I made my own rites in upstate New York in 2006, and it changed my life. And that's another story, but what I want to share with you this evening is that there is a pivotal moment in those rites of passage when we refer together to Paul's words and Paul's invitation for us to let go of the life of our childhood and to live a larger life as an adult. And it only comes after we've spent several days doing inner work and returning to things that we still have to grieve about or wounds that we've experienced so that we can experience some healing and find the gift even in our brokenness. And it comes after a time in solitude, out in nature. But we come back together and there are some significant rituals to mark this transition from our boyhood to our manhood and we reference again these words from Paul that I know are familiar to you when I was a child I spoke like a child I reasoned like a child I thought like a child but when I became a man I put away childish things Paul says we hear something similar in the reading earlier from Ephesians that we must no longer be childish tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine But we must grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head of the body. Growth is important in our faith development as Christians. We must be and become mature adults if we are to live the lives that God calls us to live. And that can be turned around as well. If we are to live the lives God calls us to live, we must grow up and be the adults that God created us to be. I've been struck for a long time by how much the church does to make sure that children grow up. And that's good. I'm not disparaging that at all. But we work hard to raise our children in the faith through Sunday school, through children's choirs, through vacation Bible school, through confirmation classes. There are lots of things that are done to help raise children in the faith. But what surprises me is how little we do as a church to help adults continue to grow and mature and develop that faith. So it's something different than it was when we were children. Oftentimes the last thing that sort of marks some significant transition, other than marriage and death, is confirmation or adult baptism. And those are significant, important times. But the church, it seems, does very little to help, to help faith continue to mature and to evolve and to grow in significant ways. It seems to me that we must be ready always for new possibilities and for God to do something different with us, for us to continue to have to lay down and die to what we thought was why we were here or that this is what it's all about. And be open to something surprising us. Take Sarah and Abraham, for example. Right? A hundred years old. They had to think that it was all said and done. And yet they get this surprising news. A new covenant. Different roles. And that they would be parents again. And as a result, they became the heirs to generations of faithful people. Of whom we ourselves are descendants So it seems to me that we too shouldn't be surprised if God does something unexpected with us. That God can do something new and exciting with us regardless of our age, regardless of the stage of our lives. That faith in Christ requires that we stay open to growth and becoming throughout our lives. I'm reminded of Marcus Borg's seminal book, It came out in the early 90s, meeting Jesus again for the first time. Some of you may have read that. But Borg begins that book by telling his own faith story and how he grew up in the church and how he became familiar with these Bible stories and they meant a great deal to him. But then when he went off to college, he began to question these things and they didn't make sense anymore when he studied Scripture uh, when he took some courses in college uh, that sort of reoriented some of those stories and helped him think differently. And for a while he was lost because the church he grew up in didn't know what to do with them. But as he continued to study and as he continued to pray, eventually came full circle and came back to the church and came back to appreciating what the church can offer its people but it was from a very different perspective and a very different place. He had experienced something new and something different. While innocence and wonder are childlike qualities that can serve us throughout our lives, critical thinking and the ability to appreciate the power of myth and metaphor only come with age and experience. They are necessary to unpack the complexity of Paul's theology or to begin to appreciate the nuances of Jesus' parables, or what he might mean by saying something like, a grain of wheat must fall to the earth and die if it's going to bear fruit. He speaks in this passage of a pattern that is part of our lives as well. The pattern isn't just for Jesus. Death and new life is something that we can relate to. It's a pattern in God's creation. Things are born, they suffer, they fall apart, they die. New things are born, and the cycle continues again and again. We are meant to participate in that pattern ourselves as a part of God's creation and a part of those who desire to follow Jesus. I love what Henry Nouwen said about discipleship or about what it means to follow Jesus. He said that to be a follower of Jesus is not to live your life just like Jesus lived his life, but rather to live your life as authentically as Jesus lived his life. And that's a significant difference. It's significant for us to recognize that each of us have a unique life to live. And it's not to repeat exactly what Jesus said and did, but it's to offer our gifts And to be as genuine and full of life and authentic as Jesus was with his own life. That we each have a unique gift and something important to offer the world. And to grow up is in part to recognize that. A friend asked me once, Joel, do you know what the two most important days of your life are? I knew it was a leading question, so I said no. Tell me. And he said, Well, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. And I can agree with that. And I believe that the day we discover why we are born, why we were born, and what our unique gift is to offer the world is the day we begin to live our adult life. Not until that point. Do we mature to a place where we can begin to give that gift away? We've got to discover what it is. What is that true seed that each of us has been born with that is Christ like? It's not Christ's life, but it is Christ like. And each of us has something unique to offer that no one else can ever give away. It's ours to give and ours to offer the world. Now, the church at its best in our Judeo-Christian tradition offers a means for this kind of growth to happen, for this discovery to take place. And the first is that it affirms that God desires this for us. We were created for life and to have it abundantly, Jesus said. The second is that God wants to help make this growth possible. It's what God does. God loves us into existence and keeps on loving us, desiring that we become what we were meant to become. We are clay in the potter's hands. We are being fashioned by God all the time. God is working with us to help us discover why we are here and what our lives are meant to be about. Now, the third thing is that we can refuse this flowering. We can avoid this by not being open to what God is offering us. By conforming too much to what the world says we are to be, rather than listening to what God created us to be. Traditionally, this openness happens through spiritual practices. By committing ourselves to a conversion of life that means living our life in conversation with God. Constantly in discernment. What is it, God, that you have put me here for? And how can I live into that faithfully? So different forms of prayer and silence and sacred texts. Spending time with those texts. Time in nature. Paying attention to our dreams. Seeing a spiritual director. All these things are ways that we stay open to God helping us discover why we're here. Time in community, time spent with those who are marginalized, those who Jesus said are the least of these, that there is where we meet God with one another. When we do these things, we let go of our smaller lives and begin to experience a fuller, richer life in and with God something breaks open in us and fruit becomes the result. Im Scott Peck in his book The Different Drum, Community Making and Peace writes about four stages of faith, drawing substantially from James Fowler's well-known work on that subject. And he contends that mature faith is the result of a movement from chaos to insight and from insight to mystical awareness. But the process of that growth doesn't come without periods of doubt and uncertainty, even confusion and a loss of what we thought life was meant to be about. Which explains why it's hard for the church, because if people go through that, they're liable to leave the church. But if we can find a way as people of faith to give people permission to wander a little bit, to explore so that they can discover that gift that is theirs to give to the world, we just might find that they'll come back to the church with a deeper faith and with even more to offer. Because we need each other. We need community. And our faith provides something significant for us to live in to the uniqueness of each one of us. It's found together. We have to learn to trust in that growth. This takes some risk. It takes some courage. It takes a willingness to fall down and to go through the pain that is a natural part of growth, to not hang on so tightly to the way we think it's supposed to be all the time, to be surprised like Sarah and Abraham that God might do something new with us. This movement from one stage of faith to another represents an expansion. Something poet Maria Rilke would explain as living your life in wider circles. That if you begin to notice yourself living your life in wider circles, it's a pretty good indication that you are growing up and that your faith is maturing. You're like a seed that has fallen to the earth and died. And in that death, discovering that you have something to offer. I want to close by just sharing with you a dream that my grandfather once had. He was Abraham's age when he died. And just before he died, he told my cousin that he had this dream. And he said, in this dream, I picked up this fruit. And I took a bite of this fruit, and the juice from this fruit started rolling down my face. And I took another bite, and the next bite was more delicious than the one before it. And every bite I took was better. And he said, you know what, Doug? I think that heaven is going to be like that. To mature in Christ is to discover your unique place in the world and to give yourself away, to bear fruit that heals, that transforms, that brings about heaven, a heaven like that, here and now. In the words of Bill Plotkin, who those of us participating in the Summer Institute will become well acquainted with soon. He says that true adults are the visionary artisans of cultural transformation. They are the ones who are gonna help heal Metropolitan Richmond. They are the ones who have the courage and who are creative enough to bring about the change that's needed. Not just in this city, but in the world today. They are those willing to grow and become bearing fruit that makes a difference in the world. May we be in that number. Amen.